Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. Lock the gate! All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers, what the fuck buddies, what the fucking ears, what the fuck nicks, what the fuck epotamuses? Someone sent me that one. How's it going? I'm Mark Marin. This is my show. If it sounds different, it's because I'm not in the garage. Does it sound okay? I think it sounds better. I just adjusted a knob. Sounds better in my head. Did you notice the knob adjustment? Well, where am I? Am I hidden away? Am I, am I in a bunker somewhere? Did I split? Am I fucking out? Am I off the grid? Kinda. I kinda am. I'm in Canada. I'm in Canada for two nights. And I gotta be honest with you. You know, and I, I, I say this with a heavy heart, but uh, I feel fucking relieved, man. I'm just here two days and I feel relieved. I'll talk about it. I just was in uh, Portsmouth, New Hampshire, Ridgefield, Connecticut, Great shows. I'll tell you about them in a second, but there's something uh, going on this month that you're probably going to hear about whenever you listen to podcasts this month in March, and I feel like I should I should uh, let you know. I should bring you into the loop, and it's not just this one. It's an industry-wide initiative uh, going on right now called Tripod, and the goal is to enlist you, the loyal podcast listeners, to get other people you know listening to podcasts. That's right. This is a, We're on a mission. Be pod missionaries. (laughs) I know this might shock you, but some people still don't get podcasts. It's still a mystery to them. My father, for instance, who I doubt has even listened to uh, the interview I did with Barack Obama. I don't know how what he says to his friends or people he knows who bring it up to him, but uh, I'm pretty sure he hasn't. I'm not sure he's listened to one fucking podcast, my dad. But obviously we're getting into a different issue. All right. Right now. Pretty much every top podcast producer is taking the time this month to encourage listeners to get the word out. Tell a friend or a family member about your favorite podcast. Tell them any way you want. And if you do it on social media, use the hashtag tripod, T-R-Y, pod, all right? And thanks for spreading the word. Yeah, we're just doing a little little push for the medium, for the medium of podcasting. So yeah, I'm in this very pleasant hotel in Montreal. Oh, by the way, Eugene Levy, speaking of Canada, is on the show today from SCTV and from many movies, from many things you've seen, from all the Christopher Guest films, uh, the uh, the very funny and uh, quirky guy's been at it a long time, Eugene Levy, get, getting into a little of that uh, SCTV history. 
And it's odd that I'm doing the intro in Canada. That was not planned. It just happened that way. I flew in me and Singer, Ryan Singer on the road. He's, uh, he's with me. So we flew into New York on Wednesday, rented a car, drove up to Ridgefield. It was the Ridgefield Playhouse. And it, was, it would seem like an old school. Brendan, uh, my producer, Brendan McDonald, met us up there. He drove up from New York. It was a pretty great show. It was a pretty sweet show. It was a packed little room. But the interesting thing about it was after the show, I'm backstage and the woman who runs the place, she comes up to me and she says, hey, Mark, there's a couple of guys that said they went on a teen tour with you. Does that ring a bell? And I'm like, fuck yeah, it rings a bell. If it's the guy that took all my money on that bus playing poker with me, uh, I'd like to see him. It's we. I went on a barren teen tour when I was like, I don't know how old I was, maybe 14. And these were these tours. Most of them you know, came out of uh, Long Island. It was, a, it, was a, it was like an alternative to camp. You just get on a bus with like 30 or 40 other kids and you start to really look forward to the places that you actually sleep in a hotel. But I was on a bus for like a month or so with these guys, these kids. There was a lot of us. And I, I was surprised at the memories that I had because I, I've been around a long time and I've been a lot of places, but why did, why was it so stuck in my head? You know, this particular trip, like this teen tour. Well, I'll tell you why, because for some reason on that teen tour, I, I, I got sucked into a compulsive gambling habit. I was like 14, 15 years old. And there were these kids from long Island. I know who they were, Craig and Mike. And we would just play fucking cards all the time on the bus. And I lost a lot of money. I lost all the money that I had, you know, for the trip. And I had to wire my aunt so my parents wouldn't know for, for more money, which I lost to these fucking card sharks, these, these hustlers, these young, I don't know what, professional gamblers from Long Island. And it was it was embedded in my memory. And I remember a lot of guys. I remember a few people from that teen tour. So I, she said they're here. And I'm like, all right, bring them back because uh, I need to I need to settle a score. And sure enough, in walks and we're all in our 50s now, Craig and Andy and their wives. And I'm like, I know you, man. I know you, Craig. I know you, Andy. Now, Andy didn't play cards, but Craig did. And I said, you got to be straight with me. Yeah, I know I know. you're surprised that I remember, but I fucking remember because I think you cheated me out of a lot of money. Now, just tell me right now, was that a rigged game? I got right in his face. And he told me, no, you're just a shitty card player, which is true and uh, actually remains true. But it was sort of fascinating to see these guys. It's always fascinating to see people. I mean, what has it been? 35, 36 years, 35 years ago, they had some pictures of the teen tour. It excites me whenever I see people that I knew for any amount of time that I remember and they're still alive and they're okay and they're doing well. That's 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 who I am. That's what, you know, no resentment. I would, even if he said he'd stolen the money, I wouldn't have cared. But he didn't. Shitty card player. I'm going to have to accept that, right? I'm going to have to accept that. That's just the way it is. So we had a great show. Great show in Ridgefield at the Ridgefield Playhouse. Very enjoyable. It was nice seeing Brendan. He went back to New York. And then uh, Ryan and I, the next day, drove up about three hours or so. Got jacked on Dunkin' Donuts coffee. I ate a few donuts. Fuck it. Fuck it. 
All right, I'm taking the pills. I can eat what I want now. Isn't that the right thing? Isn't that how a grown aging man with slightly high cholesterol uh, puts things into perspective? I could eat healthy and just really manage things or part of me could be like, well, every once in a while, why not just go to fucking town? I'm taking the pills, right? Right? I got to live a little. I don't know when this shit's going to end, right? There's a dialogue I engage with. So then we drove up to Portsmouth, New Hampshire. This landscape is very familiar to me. Running that that drive from New York to Boston to Connecticut. To, I, you know, I did one-nighters all throughout this area all my life. You know, when I was, not all my life, when I was starting out doing comedy. So it was all very familiar and it's very wintry. It's very crisp. It's very clear. All the trees are... Or have shed their leaves, and there's a there's an intensity to it. There's a there's a certain uh, a, a certain quality to the light into the air in the winter in New England. It was all coming back, all the feelings, all the confusion, all the anger, all the not knowing of being in college, of starting comedy, of of you know setting out to do what I want to do, and the panic of cigarette smoke and coffee in my shitty VW Golf, running around to unknown little townships to play one nighters and pubs and bars and grills and i it, it all just came back but there's a it's a beautiful nostalgia you know as the world around us gets chaotic and dark sometimes nostalgia is the only thing that can float your heart above the fucking surface so it buoys there so it's not just sinking like it's stuck to a fucking anvil we go up to portsmouth and it's this little coastal town I think I've probably been there. I feel like I've done a gig there. I don't know. I don't remember. But it all looked very familiar. And we, my buddy Jimmy, my buddy Jimmy met us in Portsmouth. Now, Jimmy just uh, quit his uh, government job. Uh, for, the last job he had was working in the State Department for uh, flying around the world on the plane with uh, Senator John Kerry, Secretary of State John Kerry. It was exciting to get, you know, the deep, uh, <laughs> the deep understanding of how actually the government works in all its nuanced ways. But nonetheless, Jimmy and I go way back. We go back to college and it was great seeing him. We did that show last night at the, uh, the music hall. What a great venue. Been there since the 1800s. Great crowd. But we had a great show. And Jim said, why don't we, I was going to fly. Me and Ryan were going to fly to Montreal. We're going to drive back to Boston, fly up. But Jimmy said, let's drive it. So we drove up here through that fucking beautiful winter crisp air, a few a few snow squalls. Is that what they're called? Squalls. It was great. And I, I again, bringing it full circle here, I, I got to be honest with you. I, I We got in, you know, we got through customs and uh, just physically and mentally, I felt a relief to, to not be afraid of the country I'm in. And that is so fucked up and sad. And I'm only here for two days, not like I'm living here, but I did feel a tangible sort of like, all right, the, you know, whatever's, you know, whatever the psychic vibe culturally that's going on in my country is not here. And I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to meditate for a couple of days in this. I'm going to take it in. I'm going to fucking relax for a couple of days. Is that okay? Is that all right with you guys? Next week, I'll be at uh, College Street Music Hall in New Haven on March 10th. Troy Savings Bank Music Hall, March 11th in Troy, New York. Flynn Center, March 12th in Burlington, Vermont. That's next weekend. You want to hear me talking to uh, to Eugene uh, Levy? 
Oh, it's really kind of a, it's always an honor to meet these cats, you know, especially these old, uh, the SCTV people. I got, I, I got it. I still got to get them. I have not gotten, I've got a few kids in the hall. I've got a couple SCTV people. I don't, I don't have any Monty Pythons. I got to do that too. Let's enter the world of, uh, back in the garage. And, uh, this is my conversation with, um, Eugene Levy. He's currently in the show Shit's Creek, which is now in its third season. You can watch it Wednesdays on Pop TV, although our Canadian listeners are scoffing because they've already been watching it on the CBC up here in Canada where I am. All right, this is me and uh, Mr. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Foxed Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. Levy. You look nice. You look very well put together, Mr. Levy. Do you know how tough it is to find sleeveless sweater vests in this yeah, I, town? I, 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 we, I assumed you got it online. I didn't even know they made them anymore. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't shop online. My, you like to go? My son keeps telling me, uh-huh. why don't I shop online? I said, I don't know. It's just kind of a drag to send stuff back. But I think I'm going to start doing that now. Yeah. Do you like going to the store? Um. No, I, I'm not really. A f- I, I I don't like shopping. Right. I mean, I I, I like looking. I yeah. Don't, I don't like trying on. Yeah. S- stuff. Yeah. Because it only makes me feel bad about myself. When I, it, oh, really? When I just it, find it exhausting. It's exhausting, and uh, and pants is ju- is like a just a pain <laughs> never, in the ass. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, you think you're a certain size, and then you're not, and then and you're then, not, and you well, got to deal with that shit. Yeah. And then you, and then and then it doesn't do up, <laughs> and then you're thinking, well, why do I need jeans? <laughs> why why do i need to leave the house why do i why need do to I leave need the, the house why I don't do i need to dress? dress how are you feeling about uh things you feeling funny in general <laughs> i i never i never feel uh funny except i'm gonna take a sip of water and let it purposely, run down your face purposely run down my face just to get me in yeah. funny oh mm. there it is blah, blah, blah. yeah <clears throat> no funny funny yeah uh i'm I'm not. I'm not really a yeah, funny guy. Yeah. That's the biggest enigma about me. Yeah. I'm not a stand-up. I've no. never done stand-up. Right. I just I I I went into improv theater because yeah. if, if I'm going to go down, I want to take some people with me. <laughs> right. Yeah, at least um, have the protection. Yeah. I'm not. Can... I'm not. I'm not just going up there and 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 blowing it all myself. <laughs> right, right. Pick up where you left off. You I can't look some, like a total asshole. I want some collateral damage. Well, what, you know, where <clears> you come from? Uh, you grew up in Canada. 
Well, you don't have to say it like that. I, uh, yes. Well, I, I mean, did. I could have. Ju- I mean, I knew that, so I, I generally would have just uh, said, "Where did you grow up?" But well, I chose was, to well, insert was, the information. But there I was knew. something about Canada, the way you said it on your face. It looked like it was uh, I, you grew up in Canada. No, I, in other words, bracket. You're kidding me. No, no, absolutely not. I've had a lot of uh, uh, important <clears throat> Canadians in this garage, um, important show business Canadians. I've had. Um, I talked well, to Monty Hall at his house. Wow. And he's from Winnipeg. Lauren Green was he? I didn't. I, did I missed Lauren Green. I didn't get the opportunity. I did talk to Lauren Michaels. Yeah, yes. he's also big. Yeah, uh, Ivan Reitman. I talked to. Went to school with Ivan. So, what part of Canada did you grow up in? Explain. It I to grew me. up in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, which is about forty miles southwest of Toronto. Oh, so it was like a suburb of the city in a way. It, well, it's not a suburb of Toronto. I don't think Hamiltonians would. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't want to hear you say that. I don't that. want to alienate any Canadians. Mm. I might have to no, live there. No, Hamilton uh, was a was kind of the the Pittsburgh of the North. It was mm. kind of a steel town. Oh, really? Yes. Is uh, it still nicknamed the Ambitious City? Okay, so it's sort of like uh, all right, Pittsburgh. That's a good analogy. Yeah, was there you- were a lot of steel companies going on in the '50s and and '60s, and then they're gone. Yeah, now virtually not not unlike America, the the yeah. industry is gone. What is the? Uh, have you been back to Hamilton? Uh, I used to go back to visit family. In fact, I still do. I yeah. have I have some you know some aunts and yeah uh, uncles. Well, now it's one uncle. I had two uncles that lived to be ninety nine. That's encouraging. <clears throat> um, I just visited my aunt in San Francisco over the weekend, who is ninety seven. Wow. Uh, and powerful genes. The baby brother is ninety four. Her Sid. baby brother? Yeah, Sid. yeah. He's still golfing. Yeah, <laughs> that's um, great. That's good. Yeah, that is that is good. And I had a few other aunts and uncles well into their nineties. But anyway, the trips to Hamilton are getting kind of fewer and fewer, and but, I still have family back there. But when something like that happens in Hamilton, is it like here? I mean, does the economy collapse? Is there despair when it, uh, like the steel leaves? Uh, there's despair generally. I think <clears throat> no. Hamilton's a lovely city, but it did go through a tough time right. in the seventies, eighties. You know, it's just. Uh, the plants closed, uh, steel closed, uh, malls opened up outside yeah. of Hamilton, which took all the business out of the city. Drained it. And drained it, kind of, and yeah. then it went through a major depression. And, when, and did it bounce back? Did it? Is it okay? Is it hip? Uh, Hamilton is, uh, is bouncing back in a major way. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, no, no. A, a lot of uh, gentrification happening and cafes and a lot, a lot of... Uh, Great things happening, and it's still home of the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Oh yeah, yeah. Is that hockey? I no, Mark. Is it? No, no. I, I took not. a shot. I, it's, I took it, a... it's not, but actually, as a guess, it's a good guess because you know because I'm <laughs> Canada. from Canada. Exactly. So hockey would be the major. I guess. thought I was going to nail it. No, Hamilton Tiger Cats. What are they? You know, my friend Joe Flair, it's a football team. Okay, all right. They used to be part of a nine-member Canadian football league. Yeah. Uh, two of the nine teams called the Rough Riders. Yeah. <laughs> so the Tiger Cats were, as my friend Joe Flaherty used to say, this yeah. is the most ridiculous name for a team he's ever heard. It's like calling a team the Monkey Apes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, but that's uh, that's Hamilton. What, proud, now, proud to be a Hamilton. But it, was your family in the, in the steel manufacturing business? No, 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 no. What did your old not, man do? Not remotely. My my dad worked in a uh, in a car plant. Yeah, um, and uh, was a kind of a foreman in the uh, in the plant. And, yeah, uh, grew up uh, basically doing a lot of. 
physical, you know. Yeah, running, the, running the a, line. He was a working guy. And your mom? Working guy. And my mom was a housewife, um, you know, just managed, uh, you know, How three many kids. kids. Yeah. I, have, I have an older brother. I have a younger sister. How are they doing? So she, uh, they're doing well. I just saw my sister on the weekend in, oh, yeah? in San Francisco and my uh, my brother's back in Toronto. Anyone in show business? Um, well, no. Well, my brother is a uh, producer on our television show. Schitt's Creek? Schitt's Creek. Um, Did but you he's create a, that? I created that with my son. Uh, you, oh, yeah. really? Schitt's Creek is a, a father-son operation. Yeah. Yeah, and do you both write on it still? Uh, we, we, I, I was writing with him. Um, to be honest, I was in the writing room the first year when we started the show. Yeah. Until I realized he can, he can just run with it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so all you. <laughs> it saves me 12 hours in a, in a writing room. Yeah. And, uh, trying to crack story, but, uh, so he's right. He's running the show now and, uh, we, and it's, and he's doing a, a great job. And you're working with Catherine O'Hara. Catherine O'Hara. Genius. Yeah. She's, she's, uh, she's pretty damn good. We've been working together just for, you know, eons. Great. Like how many years? Like 40 well, years? 40. Is it 40? Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Isn't it? Yeah. She started out, she was, uh, we, uh, um, met, I think, even before Second City opened in 1973 in Toronto, I was in a production of Godspell in Toronto in You were in that, that, that mythic production. It was a pretty good production who, who, of was Godspell. It like, uh, was it Martin Short? It was Martin, yes. Was Ma- Gilda Martin Radner? Short. Martin also from Hamilton, Martin yeah. Short. Martin oh, is he and really? I went to, yes, went to school together uh, 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 as well. Yeah. And so we were the only two kind of Hamiltonians. You went to high school together? No, no. We met at McMaster University, but I I knew of Marty in high school because Marty, for a period of time, was dating my sister. So I I knew I've heard I I heard tell of the name Marty Short through my sister back in high school. Really? Yeah, when she was in high school. But I didn't meet Marty really until McMaster University. So what is there. McMaster? What like what what is that college? Is it a you know it's funny because uh, well not that funny but. But it's uh, McMaster is just a, basically was a uh, college started by uh, you know some Baptists back in the whatever it was twenties thirties something and uh, majored really in engineering when I was there that was kind of a big thing there was no drama course there was no film course there was no, no nothing pertaining to the arts really it was all kind of extracurriculars I don't so, even know what an engineering degree uh, in- enables someone to do. <laughs> well, you can build. You can you can, like build a bridge. Oh, okay. Well, that's yeah. well, that's important. Yeah, yeah. You can build a bridge. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and with all, in fact, you would have a rosy future now with all the infrastructure work. Yeah, that's, that's coming down going the pipe. On yeah, it's gonna all gonna happen in this country. But it was all extracurricular. All the drama, the film. You know, that's where I met Ivan. Uh, Ivan Reitman running the film, the film club at McMaster. But he was there, like so. There literally was no arts. Yet you met these people that went on to become, you know, tremendous contributors to to comedy and art. Uh, just yeah, because the- we could do, we could just make movies, and nobody's telling you what to do. You so, just take a camera and make it the way you want it. It's not like a class where you're passing or failing. You, you, who was in charge of that? How did that? Well, I, Ivan was uh, took it over. You know and. 1966 when i got there yeah and when he got there it was kind of an undergroundish kind of film club right it a wasn't lot. but it was about making films not about watching a, films. no it was about making films oh, okay. when ivan took over 
he actually formed the club into a money-making venture. Oh, really? I think yes, he told me about that. because he did yeah. have film nights. Right. And he had horror film right. nights. He'd screen, where people, screening. People would char- pay money, and you'd have an all-night film festival where films would be bicycled around two or three theaters, and... Right, they'd be right. going on all night. But not these are these are mainstream movies that he would show for money. Mainstream movies he right. would show for money. Okay, and so then he also started a he organized the making of the movies by, uh, you know, having a uh, you would have to submit an idea for a film, and the bet top five ideas got chosen. That's how mine got chosen, and that's that's when I first uh, met Ivan. We all made our own movies. What was your movie? My my first movie. I made two movies. Uh, my first one was called Garbage. Uh-huh. Um, and I worked uh, Garbage uh, for two, three summers yeah. uh, up in uh, Hamilton. What does that mean, <clears throat> you worked Garbage? It means you kind of stood on the back of a metal truck in 110 degree heat in yeah. the humidity of an August Hamilton summer. Mm-hmm and dumped garbage at your feet and then packed it down so that you got seven tons of garbage into a truck into a truck and then you'd go to the dump and unload it and then go back and do it all over again so you're what you're what we used to call a garbage man uh yes a garbage man <laughs> yes or sanitary engineer as they sorry did. right you went to engineering school that's right yeah so so what was the uh the film garbage about well, it was a very complicated story. Mm-hmm. Basically, it was it, it involved seeing uh, students writing an exam, yeah, uh, thinking of what they want to write down as an answer, and then cutting to a bunch of garbage coming out the back of a garbage truck being dumped onto the dump. That was the tag. So the theme of it was, because um, a lot of people still may not quite know what it's about, um school was kind of garbage right yeah yeah so that was the so, so that was a four and a half minute uh, movie no sound and then i made the first talkie oh good for you finally you broke yes. the uh you broke the, the audio the uh, first boundary. synchronized sound that was movie. you that was uh, that's amazing yeah. i had no idea that yeah. i was talking to somebody that had that big a place in film history well the you first you, talk you and a nation yeah. yes <laughs> Um, it's weird because a lot of people, I think, uh, think that was the jazz singer or something, right? That was uh, one of the first talkies. Well, that was uh, that that talkie scored a bit more publicity than, right, my, than right. my talkie. Yeah. Uh, well, what was it? What was yours called? Jack and Jill. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. 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 And it was. Was it based on the poem? It was uh, based, uh, although I used the poem. Yeah. At the end, as a surprise. Oh, good. Yeah, but it was uh, it was about oh a bunch of emotionally disturbed. Uh, people was it a um, comedy uh no although it did turn out to be it so did you, so you shot a serious talkie yeah called jack and jill that that's was right. not meant to be funny that's right this was a what, how old were you 20 uh i yeah i was about 20 so this was a 20. but this was a serious <clears throat> film yeah it was, it was yes a serious film that turned out to be kind of funny much well, my that's pre- pretty much the story of my career i'd go into audition for movies <laughs> For serious movies, yeah. and end up getting laughs at the audition. And, uh, so you became that guy, yeah. the guy who had to learn that he was funny uh, long after everyone else. Yes, knew. never got the part, but good comic relief for the <laughs> casting people. <laughs> but uh, but Jack and Jill, I'm, I'm now I'm obsessed with it. So it's what is it? It's uh, early '70s, and it's a serious film. And what was it about? It was about a guy in a home for emotionally disturbed adults who had a had a crush on one of the girls uh, in the home and made up. A story about the romance between him and the girl, uh-huh. which we actually saw his story 
And at the end of the movie, you find out that this story that you think is a real story is he's writing this story. Oh, right. And he's actually in this home, and then the other people come in while he's writing it, and they take the paper that he's writing, and they look at it, and it says Jack and Jill, and they all make fun of him. Oh. And then they recite Jack and Jill. To him? To him. Like together? Like Until he chorus? dramatically turns and screams into camera, Stop! Yeah. And that's it. That's it. Wow. Yeah. Now that was a feature? That was an 18-minute feature. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you have this uh, digitized? Is this available on YouTube? Yeah. Well, I, there, is a, there, there is a story which I will not go into uh, here, but, but I did. I looked for years to time. try and find these movies. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Your movies. They, yeah, they were left at McMaster, and then I moved and went on with yeah. my life. And years later, I said, Gee, I'd love to try and get a hold of the movies that I made there. Of Garbage and, and nobody, Jack and Jill? Yeah, and nobody knew. Yeah. Anybody going to McMaster, they didn't know. Anything about the film board had ceased to be. Uh, everything had stopped. We don't know where the things are. People looked for them. They, they had no idea. A couple of years ago, not even that, um, I had uh, my uh, cousin, uh, w who now works at McMaster, um, uh, said she heard she heard that there was somebody running a, f a film night at at in Hamilton yeah. where they're showing McMaster movies and I went whoa well then give me the name of this guy yeah. and because I want to get a hold of him to find out how he got a hold of the movies and I did they get, got he got get, hold of your movies he got hold of all the movies Ivan's movies my movies when was this. This was this year, and, oh, and wow. I yeah, and I got a hold of the guy, and and he and I said, how do I get a hold? He said, well, I'll send you the link, and, and not only that, he personally went through and cleaned up, restored him. digitally restored the first talkie, the movies, yeah, yeah. Did so you? that's it. So now I have now I have them all. And what was it like watching them again? It was pretty amazing yeah. because you're just seeing a whole chunk of your life really because the people in the movies are yeah. your friends and yeah. people you went to school with and so it's it's just it's you know it's like you know time 40, travel 40 50 years never quite happened oh my god yeah and are you in that movie are you uh did you play uh the no role? no just directed and wrote them uh, just, uh, d just directed and, uh, wrote them, uh, and provided a voice, I think, in one, one of the movies, one of the voices is, in fact, Ivan and I voiced a section of garbage. Yeah. Uh, because we didn't have sync sound, so we had to kind of see two people talking and then we, we created dialogue <laughs> that, so it looked like a dubbed movie yeah, in a way. Kind of fit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how do you go from there? Mm -hmm. Like how, so that, that began your relationship with Ivan. Yeah, that was a good... And Ivan, to be honest, is the one person responsible for, I, I would say, me being in the business because when, when, when he left to do his first feature in Toronto, when he left McMaster, he left a year before I did. So I... Um, and I wasn't doing that well because I was doing a lot of drama. I was doing a lot of film, you know, involved with the film board and working on the paper. And I loved it. Never went to class. Where'd you do drama? At like, McMaster. Oh, so they had a like a. They had a club. Oh, okay. And with a good director of drama who was brought in from Toronto. Oh, okay. Um, um, and and so we we actually did a lot of plays. Yeah. You know, but there was Most, still there was no course. Right. Mostly serious plays. Mostly serious. You yeah. wanted to be a serious actor. Well, you know, it was the '60s, so yeah. there was a lot of lot of those plays where you're crawling, crawling <laughs> on the floor, and cr creating human pyramids yeah. and things yeah. like yeah. that. Screaming. 
uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. anything but yeah. acting, right. I guess. <laughs> yeah, group theater uh, stuff. Group, group theater. Or like, uh, what was it? Like, uh, or group theater of, cruel, theater of cruelty. Well, Experimental of, theater. Yes, yes. Yeah. The, the uh, Polish lab theater sure. from the late 60s <laughs> yeah. was a huge influence. <laughs> um, so, so that's what I was doing. And, uh, and so I, I really was bombing out of, of academically. Yeah. And uh, realized I had to get a job, so I knew Ivan was in Toronto starting his first movie. I called him to say, "Ivan, I'm I'm failing my year. I'm I'm really going under here, but I I think I'm need a job. Yeah, I think school is over for yeah, me." Yeah. So you didn't finish? And he said, "No, I ne- I never finished. I left uh, school. I wouldn't have been able to pass anyway. I was right. so far behind." Yeah. And uh, he said, well, boy, if you'd have called me a week ago, I could have got you a job in props. I could have got you a job in, you know, painting or yeah. something. But every job is gone. I, I, there's, I mean, Coffee Boy is the only job. Right. But I said, great, I'll take it. He said, no, I can't give it to you. I said, I'll take it. He said, no, I can't give it to you. It's really not a real job. It only pays 60 bucks a week. And I'm too embarrassed to give you the job. Right. So I said, please give me the job. So that was my first job. And then Ivan's second movie that he did. What was that first movie? It was called Foxy Lady. It's a movie nobody's ever seen since the day it was released. I think he told me about that. Were you in it too? Um, I was coffee boy on Mm -hmm. the movie. And then at the end, he gave me a cameo. Oh, good. At the yeah, end, because yeah. he knew I did a lot of work at McMaster, a lot of acting work, right. and comedy, and he, he thought sure. that was funny. Um, so uh, on his second movie, Cannibal Girls, a sure. movie he was thinking of doing, he said, do you want to be in the movie? Do you want to be in the movie, star of the movie, and you can star with Andrea Martin? And and I said, great. Did you know her? I met her on Foxy Lady. I, I uh, served right. her coffee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, so I met Andrea and Foxy Lady and then we did Cannibal Girls, um, popular movie together. It won some award in Spain. Oh, okay. <laughs> Best horror comedy or yeah. something. What's well, good. Is, that's a is, was it a good movie? No, not remotely. It was, um, <laughs> it was mostly improvised and not well, I yeah. would say. Well, it's interesting because out of McMaster's extracurricular uh, clubs, uh, you know, comes the the sort of like tour de force of Canadian comedy in a way, that first wave there. Well, yeah, I mean, Ivan uh, came out of there, Marty Short, myself, Dave Thomas, um, uh, Doug Henning, the magician. Sure, I remember him. Um, What was that show we did on Broadway? The Magic Show. The Magic Show. I think I saw it. Smiles a lot, kind of hippie. Yeah, mustache. Mar- yeah, Marty. Yeah. Marty Short used to do a oh, that's good right. impersonation <laughs> of. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's the magic is illusion, and illusion is magical, and <laughs> yeah, he's a good character. <clears throat> so, before SCTV, was uh, was the production of uh, what was it, Godspell, the the first thing that brought everyone together? When how did uh, that kind of happen? They just came to town, and auditioned, and I and I I auditioned for it, Marty was still writing his finals at McMaster. Marty was in social work at McMaster University. And I called him to say, Marty, you should come in and an audition for the show because yeah. it's it's a it's a musical show. It's like big big New York production. Was he already Marty. doing stuff like that? Marty at McMaster. He, he was, was kind of at, yes, he was acting. In fact, I directed Marty in a musical at McMaster called Benji, which was an original musical that was uh, written by my roommate, Bob Sandler. Yeah. And uh, a great musician in Toronto, Tony Kosnick, uh, did 
the music yeah, for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And so we we put it on there. So Marty was performing. But again, like everybody, like me and everybody else that, that was doing it, you never thought about doing it professionally. Sure. It never occurred to me once <laughs> while I was doing all these plays at McMaster that wouldn't this be nice to do this professionally? Yeah. You didn't become an actor. Nobody became actors. It, what, really? It was just something you were just kind of having fun with? Just and, having fun with. And was and, Marty, in, like, could you see the Marty we see now in the Marty then? Was yeah. he? Yeah. Yeah. Same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Same. Same. Same impressions. Be- I mean, amazingly good impression. He was doing that then. Yeah. Same voice. Same great singing. So you voice. tell him to audition for Godspell, and what happens? So he came in and auditioned, and of course we both end up making the the final the final show. And who else? Who uh, like it had Ma- this amazing cast, right? Wasn't Gilda? It in was it? me and Marty. Gilda. Yeah. yeah. Gilda Radner, Andrea Martin, Victor Garber. Uh, Victor Garber. Paul Schaefer right. was our musical director. So that was a big show. But like, it seems to me like when I talked to Ivan about it as well, that that seemed to be the first, like it, it felt like something professional and something was happening and that these these talents that, that all went on to other things and that you went on to work with, that seemed to be the first place it kind of happened. That, that actually was our first taste of show business, our first professional show and meeting some really amazingly talented uh people and then you know right out of godspell second city opened up i mean we were really lucky yeah timing being in toronto at that time because you know godspell was a major production coming in from new york right? right great second city was the great improvisational company that decided that bernie solins who ran the the owned the company owned the theater decided to open up a theater in Toronto because they had played Toronto in the mid sixties and got amazing reviews. Right. So we just happened to be there in Toronto when second city came to open up a Toronto theater, the first franchise, first franchise. And we got, uh, and that's where I met John Candy and Dan Aykroyd and, um, but they were all Canadians, right? Yeah. So where, where did they come in from? You had never met them before. So second city opens and everybody wants to be part of it. Like it, people who are performing comedy want to be part of it. Yeah. And what was the structure of it? How did it work? How did you get in? Was it a, a workshop situation? You, or you... you had to audition. You had, okay. to, go, you had to audition, um, you, you know, five, uh, exercise called Five Through the Door. Five characters. You, <clears throat> you'd have to create a character, and they'd give you a situation like um, it's a complaint department at a department store. Mm-hmm. So somebody's the person working for the department store right. you've got in for a complaint and then you do your complaint you go through the door you come back again as a different character complaining right and then another character and then you would go through some improvisations and they made a they made a choice and they cast it and they cast yes. who, like who was in charge of uh, second city there like I, I like i don't know i know some of the history i, I mean i think i talked to Shelley Berman about the compass players and then that became second city but like who who did they send up as the guys who knew what they De- were doing well bernie and del del close oh, del close of course yeah. yeah he came up del close would come up and bernie would also come up and work and be involved in d- directing sure. shows but he wasn't you know he wasn't so much a director yeah bernie as yeah. he was just he owned it. Yeah, right. <laughs> but um, Dell was that's a young Dell Close. Dell was yeah, Dell was pretty amazing. He was an amazing character. Yeah. Um, like how so? Like what would you learn from that guy? Uh, uh well, he 
Well, you learned kind of how basically through Second City, this is the great thing about Second City for for us yeah. who, who were lucky enough to get in it, is it's a great comedy school. You know, yeah. it just, the shows were intelligent, they were bright, they were really funny, but really smart. And they and, were all improvised most and of were, them? Yeah, well, the shows were improvised and then you hone the improvisations sure. down. Um uh, a Second City show is, I mean, you go and see the actual show, but every scene in the show was created through improvisation and right. honed yeah. to the point where we now have a solid piece. Right. So then you put all these pieces together, you do your show, and then at the end of the show, you go out and take suggestions from the audience, and you take 15 minutes, you go back, talk about them, how are we going to do it, yeah. and then you come out and improvise the pieces with and, how many people like seven well eight? five six yeah. or seven people sure. in a cast and over time the pieces that you improvise when it comes time to starting your next show seven six seven eight months down the line you take the improvisations that you were doing that seemed like they were successful and you go back and try and recreate those improvisations uh-huh. and you start honing those down and they become the scenes for the next show. And how did Dell, like what was Dell's like uh, process? He just knew what he was doing. It's hard to do, you know, Dell was, oh, that's, you know. Yeah, that's that. You're doing it right. Uh, oh, that's it. <laughs> Fuck it. It's you know. It's... But all there... right, cats out of the bag. You're fired. <laughs> um, were, were there structures that were like? Because I know that Dell had some 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 uh, exercises and 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 things. Right. Yeah, it was great. He was great at what he did. He was yeah. a great improvisational teacher. Kind yeah. Of very guru ish. Yeah. And he was there for years, and he was a guy that also had a lot of personal problems and addictions yeah. and things. And you, you at know. that time, yeah. Well, was there a system that you would you, that you learned from him? Did what did you learn about improvising from him? You, you know, you learn here. The thing about we learned from from Dell and certainly yeah. Second City because it really was a hallmark of of the company yeah. since it was created was just you know always perform at the top of your intelligence level, uh-huh. which is something you don't think you need to hear, right? But you do. I mean, it's 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 amazing when you hear it. You go, oh, I get it. Because even if you're doing something cheap, yeah, play it smart. You right. Know? If you're playing a cheap character, play it play it smart. Right. So don't uh, go for the easy laugh. Don't go for an easy laugh. Right. Just just make it smart. Make the laugh smart. Right. Yeah. Or if you're if you're if you're if you're creating a character, whatever, make the laugh come out of the character, but make it. Right, you know, don't don't just don't cheat. don't just throw it away and right. step over the line. And, right. Uh, so never think you're smarter than your audience. And, right. And, and so those are gu- guidelines that we uh, anybody in Second City is, goes on to use um, for the rest of your career. Sure. Basically. So in that first crew, it was uh, it was you and Ackroyd and Candy. The first company in Toronto was was at a different theater, right? And that was yes, Dan Aykroyd, Valerie Bromfield, a great, uh, very funny uh, writer performer, um, a couple of local people, Joe Flaherty, Brian Doyle Murray, yeah. his brother, yeah. And that was the company, and then it closed because it didn't have a liquor license, and people just got tired of having crepes and cokes, okay. so they closed. Yeah, it only stayed open about six months, yeah. and then it was reopened at the old fire hall in Toronto, and that's where that's when could... John, yes, John and and uh, and uh, 
me and Joe were in that company. When John got hired, yeah. John Candy got hired for Second City, they sent him down to Chicago. That's how good they thought he was. Dell wanted John Candy in Chicago, in the company with Bill Murray. Uh-huh. And... So that was already going? Bill was already down there? Bill and, was in the company, yeah. yes. And they wanted John. Yeah, they wanted him in Chicago. What was amazing about John when you when you first met him? Like, he, it was just... He was just funny. Yeah. I mean, he, he was funny. He kind of, you know, had a very cute, adorable face. Yeah. John wasn't that heavy. Um, Initially? Back then. Yeah. You know, he was kind of plumpish. Right. Nevertheless, it was okay to do fat jokes. Sure. Kind of back yeah, then and yeah. he was the guy leading the charge you right know, that's he, he it, it was, was almost seems like a uh that the model of um it's weird when you you look at at these sketch troops that or these improv troops that that later created all you guys that there almost seems to be a type you know that there's a commedia della arte element to it that people fall into a role like you know like the sort of bombastic slightly heavy guy is sort of thematic throughout you know all of these groups you know that like it seems like belushi yeah. and candy were kind of the beginning of it and then yeah. you get this legacy of that maybe i'm just romanticizing it or mythologizing it but because i see all you guys as like these archetypes of of what is now like you know sketch comedy and every everybody comes out of improv now you know more than stand-up yeah. there was a while there where it was stand-up heavy and now it's all about those models that were created at second city uh, that now sort of guide show business. Yeah, the, that's uh, yeah. Uh, uh, although that's true. Although I think SNL really still kind of there's still a lot of stand up that gets you sure. know, people going into SNL still come out of stand up. Yeah. Although they they have been coming out of the committee or yeah, um, UCB or the Lampoon right. back that back in the day. The committee is not a, that was a long time ago. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, so, that that's how our show got started in Toronto because because SNL when they started in 1975. Yeah. Really, the two groups were Second City um, and uh, National Lampoon. Right. Um, and Bernie Sullins, who ran Second City, saying, "Boy, we're gonna we're we're gonna have our people just draining right out of Second City, going right into SNL. We, yeah. woo, let's let's stop this here. Maybe yeah. we maybe we should have our own show in Canada. In well, in it so happened it was in we started in Canada because right. I guess the the um, most of us, John and Joe and myself, were in Canada doing Second City Theater and Marty." Marty came in later. So the idea was to to counter SNL and create a show there to yeah. hold on to talent. Yeah. Why should Saturday Night Live be taking all of our Second City talent? Why don't we have our own show where Second City can funnel you know, right. talent going I think in. National Lampoon felt that way, too. Like, I've heard stories that, you know, it was just... The, the whole format was just pilfered by Lauren from, from Lampoon and just drained everybody out. Well, it's a conspiracy theory. It's funny. Well, you know, it's funny because uh, you know Ivan. I I was I was with Ivan when we first saw the National Lampoon touring show with uh, Belushi, with uh, Belushi and Harold Ramis and Bill, Bill and Gilda. Yeah, and uh, and it was a really funny show. And you know, out there and you edgy, saw it in Canada, edgy. Saw it in, yeah, they came up to Toronto and played a club in Toronto, and then. Uh, 
Ivan went back and talked to, you know, the cast. We all did. Yeah, great show, great show, great show. Next thing you know, Ivan is is working out a deal with Maddie Simmons to create a permanent club in New York so this group can play, perform permanently. Maddie Simmons from National Lampoon. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Right. Which is amazing when you think what Maddie Simmons owned and why would he need an Ivan. Right. And yet... He did it. Ivan was a yeah went into partnership with Maddie, and then out of that, of course, came Animal House. Right, and you know Ivan's and the rest. career. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So all right, so you guys, so who? It's Bernie's idea to do Second City first, Second City TV, SCTV. Yeah, and how does that how does that the, start to unfold? Well, we got together. We just said we got together with Dell was involved, Harold Ramis, uh, myself, Joe, um, D- Dave, Thomas. Yeah. And we kind of brainstormed the idea of a television network uh-huh. uh, where we could do tele- TV parody, right, and uh, make it like a programming day, right. And that was the little, I- that little, was the idea with the behind the scenes and the bits. Yeah, behind the scenes, we wanted a storyline running through the show, um, and I can't honestly remember. who whose idea that was it could have been bernie's yeah or it could have been harold's yeah uh but anyway that was it so that that storyline through the show created um a was really um the context a key thing for our show because instead of it just being a series of sketches we had a storyline where we needed some characters who worked at the station to carry some of these storylines right like johnny larue yeah john candy's character yeah um, and who was what was Flaherty's character's name? The owner of the station. Well, Guy Caballero. Yeah, yeah. Was uh, and that came out of an improv, an improvisation on the floor in in, in front of the camera. Uh, Harold Ramis, one of the smartest, funniest guys. Yeah. that I have ever met. May he rest in peace. Um, was doing a was doing a character called Mo Green on our in the first season of our show. He was the station uh, business manager, yeah, or the manager, yeah, and a kind of a Weasley guy. And he did a show called Bowling for Dollars, yeah. And he would take calls on his Bowling for Dollars, and we would in the first season improvise a lot of these things. So Joe got on the on the phone with Harold on camera. Saying, "Who am I talking to?" And he says, uh, "Green, this is your boss, Guy Caballero." Yeah. And you could see Harold laugh on camera, right? Because it's a play on Gay Caballero. Yeah. Uh, anyway, and so that kid, that's where that character started. Yeah, in, in an improv, and then he be- he became the the boss of the station. So the whole idea, which made it different from SNL in, in a way that was probably more easy to refill, was you had this whole umbrella, which was the network. So you could just, that was in place. So it was just a matter of, of creating characters, satirizing existing people, yeah. and just moving them through this network day. Yeah, and yeah. it was a great format for right. for a show for for kind of poking fun at at TV news programs and dramas and comedies and sitcoms and whatever. I remember having to watch it like it wasn't on here until later. Like it was it was after. on one o'clock or something, right? And yeah. that was in, but that was as it was happening because when I was in uh, in a teenager, I would watch it. But that was current. It wasn't like 
we weren't watching it after the like it wasn't to, hadn't run it. I can't remember what years well, those were. What years were they? Oh, uh, so 1976. Okay, yeah. 76, so. 77. We were we were doing um, uh, half hours. 78 was still half hour, um, and we got syndicated in our second year. A syndication company uh, picked us up and dis- and syndicated our show in I think 40 uh, U.S. Right, uh, that must cities. have been when I was watching it late at night, and it came on like after you, or after um, SNL. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, right or, right. or maybe it was Friday night. I can't remember, but well, I think it was after SNL, I think one, so. one o'clock in the yeah, morning. Right, and then there were those of us who were kids who were sort of like, "This is its own thing," you know, like it had its own following, and it was clearly different. In, it was different. It was yeah. like when Python came on the scene, and exactly. we would watch Python, and it was like, wow, wow where's that this come from? foreign? Is yeah. this weird? I've I, never seen anything like it. Yeah, exactly. I remember seeing, like, Martin do Robin, and, you know, and then the whole backdrop of all these other characters, the yeah. weird... What was that I have in Costello bit I was trying to remember? Well, we, we, did, a, <laughs> we did a piece <laughs> called the... Um, this will mean probably nothing... To the uh, listeners, because these are shows that are going back, but we did a show called um, The Midnight Express Special. Yeah. There was a show on NBC, late night yeah. music show, right. called The Mid the Midnight, Midnight Special. Set, mid, what was that guy's the name? The Midnight Special with, with Cat, mid, Catman, not Catman, uh, uh, Wolfman, Wolfman Jack. Jack. Yeah. And then the movie, uh, Midnight Express. Right. So we combined the Midnight Express Special. Yeah. As the Wolfman Jack show, right, hosted by Abbott and Costello, but the idea of the storyline through Midnight Express of somebody trying to smuggle heroin or dope hashish. or heroin yeah, yeah. hashish, right, into the country or yeah. get it out of the country, we right. inc- we incorporated into the Abbott and Costello routine. <laughs> um, so we did that. Qu- we sometimes took a couple of things, mixed, mixed them together, them. and and and. Um, uh, but by the same token, our show was a post-production show. We we did have the opportunity to write the show, uh, you know, first, or at least get the writing started, and then shoot the show, and then we could we we were involved in the editing and. It wasn't there wasn't an audience. No, I I think that was the primary difference. Yeah, that you just noticed. playing just playing the camera, and that right. was that is the primary, and always is the primary difference. If you're if you're performing for an, a studio audience, you're. You want to you want to get a response from the audience, and right. to get the response from the audience, your performance has to come up, and that's where you get sitcom. The yeah, the the performances are elevated to yeah, to so, a uh, right right out of vaudeville, a kind of a yeah, a, a bit kind of a heightened com- yeah, comedically heightened. Same with uh, SNL, right? And you guys were and a- yeah, we play right to camera, so we could keep the we could keep the subtlety of what we're doing just right, right into camera, right. And hold the characters a little harder. And hold the character, and they yeah. did. They did add a laugh track to the show, which, which you know, couldn't do anything about it, really. Oh, really? Well, we tried in a very our very first show in the first season. We thought we don't want a laugh track. We just want this to play without a laugh track. Right. And we we cut the show together and 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 looked at it, and it just seemed like it was laying there. <laughs> Right, where there and should be laughs. Oh, we need a laugh. Yeah. So then we brought in an audience, and we played the show for the audience and recorded the audience. Yeah, but that wasn't good because the audience would laugh, but they would laugh over another line, like they'd laugh over a a, a, a joke or a laugh line. Sure, the laughs were coming in weird places. Right. So we said, "Get the guy with the machine," <laughs> and so he, you know, he would. 
do the he thing. He would do as good a job as he could. So the original crew of the first season, like, how was that? It was you, Candy. The first season was uh, we started the show with uh, with uh, J- Joe Flaherty, John yeah. Candy, myself, Dave Thomas, Catherine O'Hara, Andrea Martin, and Harold Ramis. Right. In yeah. our third season, seventy eight, seventy nine, I think uh, somebody didn't come back. Catherine was gone that season. Jo- uh, John Candy was gone, so they brought in. That was the season Rick Moranis joined the show, and then they brought in Robin Duke and Tony Rosado, uh, also passed away this year. Yeah. Um, so they were in the show for one season. Okay. Uh, in the half hour format, and then when we came back in the ninety minute format on NBC. Um, it was, it was, uh, J- Joe, John, me, Rick, Dave, Andrea, and Catherine. And is that when the, like the great white North thing started and all that stuff, yeah. the, the thing started to stick. Who was producing that one? The hour and a half one, the, well, we had as a creative producer, you mean we, we, we did what was on, it was on NBC. It was on NBC, and we had executives from NBC who right. who hated coming up to Toronto. Yeah. Or not only Toronto, we we were also shooting the show in Edmonton. When we started the ninety minute show, we were in Edmonton, Alberta, shooting the I show. I know that place. So um, nobody wanted to fly up to Edmonton, so the executives from NBC would fly up occasionally. Yeah. And and, and you know just say, um, hey, why don't you? Uh, Put your A material up front, like we do on SNL. Yeah. Put your A material up front, and then and then the middle portion, you know, do your material, which is okay. The experimental stuff. Yeah. Put that at the put that at the end. Yeah. You know, because because the demographics are, you know, the audience is uh, we're getting good numbers in the first half hour, and then yeah. it drops a little bit. The last half hour, you don't want to worry about it. So we say, oh, interesting, interesting, and they'd go back, and you yeah. know, we just kept on doing what we're doing. Always ignored them. Yeah. How long did it last in that form? Three seasons, uh, ninety minutes, and then our last season was uh, we were on Cinemax, uh, and there was just four of us on the on that last season. Oh, really? So we're getting into some indulgent stuff. Yeah, in, yeah. in our last season. So it was a, yeah, fun a, stuff. It was a good run, and it, it was a good run. And you know what the thing was? Like the inmates were running the asylum. Sure, that we really had nobody telling us what to do, and that's that's and we got spoiled a little bit because yeah. you. That's not the way shows are run, and yeah, yeah. Chances are you'll never get to do that again. But um, although we're having a pretty good shot at it with our current show, Shits Creek, but um, you, you know, it's great when you can do what you want, and you you don't have to do something you don't want. Yeah, and you have a bunch of friends with you, and you have a bunch of friends with you <laughs> yeah. because we did. We worked together, we partied together, yeah. and it was like a dream, really. Were you ever considered for SNL? Was that something you thought about doing, or uh, I may have thought about it, right? But I, I never, um, I, you were never I summoned. I, I never, no, I was never summoned. I remember, I remember one year, Lauren Michaels came up to when we were doing, yeah, Second City stage uh, or filling in or whatever, whatever, right? And, and uh, I know Joe and John. Did some stuff like audition pieces yeah. on on a thing, but yeah. they, they they didn't get they didn't get hired. But it's interesting. All you guys, like a lot of you, uh, certainly had good careers in television, and you know, obviously, you're still going. John did some big movies. Yeah. Joe had uh, recurring roles for years. 
Everybody did good. Yeah, Joe's on uh, Freaks and Geeks. Marty's, you know, just still going strong. John Candy had a great uh, film career. Yeah. Yeah. I think John was like the biggest star. He was a major, became a major film star. Yeah. Did some great work. He did, yeah. Great work. Funny guy. And, you know, we're still still going. I went through, um, um, I think got into uh, some directing stuff in the late 80s because, yeah. you know, I got... In Canada? Um, so, yeah, some in Canada. One feature uh, film that I did uh, here, it was actually shot in Europe, but for um, uh, Dino De Laurentiis. Oh, yeah? Uh, what was that? It was called uh, Once Upon a Crime. Uh-huh. And it was a feature that we shot in uh, Rome and uh, Monte Carlo. Was it? A, it was a comedy. It was a comedy. Yeah, it was like a f- kind of a farce. Uh, John Candy, Jim Belushi, Sybil Shepherd, uh-huh. Sean Young. Oh wow! Uh, George Hamilton. And that was your first big movie directing. Well, that was my first and only feature uh, directing. Is there and a... <laughs> no story there. I think that says it all, doesn't it? <laughs> But it actually was really funny. It it was a funny movie. It had some very funny moments. Yeah. Uh, it just got a little. Uh, it 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 got a little weird. We couldn't couldn't quite get the the third act going. They hired writers and writers, some big name yeah. writers and stuff, but still couldn't Com- couldn't crack get it. going. And then and you know there were some a few issues with Dino. You know. While, Did you while deal we with shooting. Dino? Yeah. You know, I actually liked Dino. De Laurentiis. It was, it was, uh, uh, he had a reputation, like, you know, I'd heard before I started working uh, on that movie that, you know, some directors would just, in their contract, they yeah. say, no, he's not allowed on the set. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and when we started the movie, he was, uh, you know, he was so great. He yeah. was like a second dad. Yeah. He was like, he was just great. He was fun. He'd like to laugh. Uh huh. The scouting trip in Europe was a, an experience in itself. Uh-huh. It was just first class all the way down the line. It was yeah. like first class hotels. He would take you out to the best restaurants. It was it got along great with him. Yeah. We started the movie. Everything was going great. And then things just, you know, uh, uh, oh, we got into some issues about the script and what he thought was funny and what I didn't think was funny. And and while I was over there in pre-production, yeah. Dino was still in Los Angeles, and we'd have some screaming matches on the phone. Really? Yeah. Like, I mean, screaming matches where he he would be faxing pages that he got some guys to work on for free. And, you know, <laughs> the, this is a good joke. Uh, that's a good joke. Uh, the woman here comes by with the big boob and, uh, you know, walking across. Dino, I don't think that's funny. What? You know. Screaming <laughs> to the I, point where, when he finally did come over, when yeah. we started shooting, I met him in his hotel, and I had a a, a stick with a white flag on it. And oh, really? Waving my white flag, and <laughs> did that work? Uh, it worked for about ten minutes. Yeah, I think Belushi did him on SNL. I think, Wait, didn't he? Belushi's like my Kong, talking about the King Kong movie. That oh yeah. Yeah, 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 I think yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't even thought about that till you just mentioned it. <laughs> So when did you move sort of down here and start, you know, doing that? I would come down uh, for sporadically for a lot of different projects. When we uh, first time I came down, uh, honestly, was uh, for anything serious. We did a second city in Pasadena yeah. in 1975. Right. But a that, live show. 
Uh, yeah, the yeah. live show. That was my first trip to California. Right. In 1980, we came down to do a movie called Going Berserk with John, Joe, and John Joe Flaherty, John Candy, and myself. Yeah. A movie that uh, David Steinberg directed. Sure. And uh, it was not much of a uh script i remember at the time uh-huh. uh and and i was in toronto and joe joe and john were down with the writers working on this uh, thing and i'd yeah. say hey send up some pages <laughs> uh yeah well we will when we get it down yeah. you know which is not ready yet but we're working on it but boy there's a great part for you and yeah. there's great some funny scenes great yeah. a month later because send up some pages yeah so i can read well we're <laughs> gonna we're almost there we got something Next thing you know, uh, I'm flying down to Los Angeles. They're shooting in a week. Yeah, no pages. I've already signed. <laughs> still waiting. Yeah. And they said, well, come down here. We'll give you the thing when you get down here. <laughs> yeah. And so I got the script. I went back to my hotel. I, 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 I got into bed. I turned on the lamp, started reading, got to page 15, called my lawyer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I said, "Oh my God, Ted! I, this is horrible. I mean, what are we going to do? The script is horrible. It's garbage. I can't do it. I can't. Yeah. I can't do it. I love the guys. I can't. I can't do it." What was the problem? Were they just were they partying or they lost? Yes, it it was. Uh, it just. It just wasn't good. Yeah. Let, let's put it that <laughs> okay. way. It, it was. It just wasn't good. So I went in to. Uh, so my lawyer says, "Well, you know, we'll go in. We'll take a meeting with David Steinberg in the morning." We went in and had the meeting, and I said, "He said, so, Gene, I understand you have some problems with this script." <laughs> I said, "Well, I, David, I, honestly, I don't think it's ready. To, you're shooting in a week, yeah. personally, and I know this means nothing to you. I don't think it's ready. I don't think it's ready. It's yeah. not. It needs a lot of work, and yeah. and uh, he's." Well, of course it needs work, Gene. But, you know, this is not the movie we're shooting in a week. We, we're, we're constantly b- b- making amends to the script. And tell you what, why don't you stick around for the week and work with the boys and right. and redo the scenes you feel like you want to redo? This is, we're not doing this. Yeah. It's going to be much better by the time we start shooting next week. <laughs> so stay, stick around for the week and, and, and see what you can do to help think things. So yeah. we leave the meeting. And my lawyer says, okay, you know what? Just do the movie because you're not going to come out of this smelling too good if you, if I have to go and tell the studio that you've decided to back out at the yeah. last second. Right. You know, yeah. um, even though the director said, yes, you can leave now, but if you, yeah, stick around and work on it. And if you don't, if you don't like what the, at the end of the week, then you can just go back uh-huh. and, and leave. Yeah, he said, no that's leave. not going to happen. Right. So just do, just do the movie. And I did. And it was, it was great fun. Not a great movie, but it was actually a very cultish kind of movie. So many people have come up and said, going berserk is insane. <laughs> yeah. And I said, yeah, it is. <laughs> that What year was that? That was 1980. Yeah. And then in, in the splash was 83, and then I'd come down and do that. And then, you know, we we um, traveled to Jamaica for uh, Club Paradise in 84, and then I was back in L.A. in 85 to do Armed and Dangerous. Right. With John Candy. And so my trips were... Frequent. Uh, I, yeah, yeah. I, I would come down and, and do work down here for years, and... Um, you and John were real tight? Yeah. Yeah. 
And you and, and Joe? Yeah. 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 It's good. Still see Joe. Still see the people. We, yeah. st- we still see each other on a semi-regular basis. That's nice. Marty. Marty, of course, all, yeah. all the time, because, you know, he's my oldest and dearest friend. I mean, we-, we Do you live by each other? Yeah, we're one minute apart. Oh, so yeah, so you're around. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah, one minute apart. He he's Marty's be- Marty's probably the funniest guy in show business. He's the. I don't think there's anybody faster. I don't think it's there's kind anybody of who's got a faster mind yeah. than Marty. And case in point, Jiminy Glick, if you love that character. Yeah. And a lot of that is just off the cuff. And it is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, he's like, brilliant. he's amazing. You know, he transcends, you know, show business almost. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know? He embodies it and transcends it. He he definitely embodies it, and he is the anchor to. I mean, he knows everybody in yeah. the business, and yeah. everybody loves him. And so, how did you get involved with? Uh, because I think, like most people, like n- now, maybe I'm, I'm. That's not right for me to say. Outside of uh, American Pie, which is a franchise you've been connected with for years yeah like there's like 12 of them now right well no no not 12 no no not 12 eight okay but that's a good that's a good gig the gift that keeps on giving it was um yeah it was a good gig four feet four theatrical features and four straight to dvds and that was great but the uh the chris guest movies who you you know you work with uh catherine a lot catherine fred yeah Fred, uh, Fred Willard. Willard. Um, um, oh, great, great uh, cast. And Chris, of course, who's How'd you a, meet another com- comic genius. Um, how did I meet Chris? Uh, he called me. I knew, I, knew Chris, I knew of Chris from going back to Lampoon. Yeah. And, you know, the radio sh- shows and the albums. And I would hear, I knew the, I knew Gilded was doing work there and Schaefer was doing work there and Bill Murray. I knew those voices, but there was one voice Chevy. that I'd never heard, Chevy. One voice that I'd never heard, and that was Chris. Yeah. Uh, and it was brilliant. His character work was um, astonishingly yeah. great. And I kept saying, who is that guy? Who is this guy? Yeah. Who is this guy? I got a chance to not uh, to work with him on a Billy Crystal special in the mid 80s. Yeah. Uh, not working directly with him, but I would when he was shooting his stuff, I would go make sure I'd go and watch. You're a fan, huge fan, and um, and then years later, I get a call. I'm in Toronto, and I get a call, and it's Chris, and he says, "I'm thinking of doing a movie, um, and I'm wondering if you would like to come down and uh, write it with me," <laughs> and I'm. You know, I'm thinking. I don't. I don't even know the guy. I met him <laughs> twice. Yeah. Who? How many people turned it down? Yeah, right. Before you called me. So he said, "Yeah, I've got a cabin up in the northwest uh, yeah. region of the country, and uh-huh. we could go up there for a week." I'm thinking, "Wow." <laughs> yeah. Ah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, and in, in in my mind, in 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 milliseconds. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking. I'm trying to work it out. Thinking, okay, how about how this could be great, or yeah. it could be horrible, or it could be. I don't know the guy, and this is great. Now we're in a cabin, and what if it's not working? Yeah. Well, I guess I'll just go back to the airport. Sure. What do you got to lose? That's it. So, so I flew down to meet him there, and from the first second he picked me up at the airport, it was just laughs and and just just great. And isn't that's, that, that's that was the beginning. Isn't that interesting though? Like out of nowhere, a guy that you respected so much. And that you had no real sense that he knew what about you. Right. Like, you know, why you? 
Well, you know, you know, it was years later, almost at the end of our run. Yeah. When I put when I put the question to him, Chris, why did you call me that day? <laughs> yeah. How? Who did you approach for? How many people yeah. did you approach before right. you went? He said, "No, you were my first choice." Yeah. I said, based on based on I was a fan of your show SCTV, and in particular, loved your work on the show. So, I called you. <laughs> I said, "What well, boy? I wish I'd asked you that in the very beginning." <laughs> Because I always thought I was number nine on the list. <laughs> Why would he stay with you for four movies? I don't. I. I don't. I. You know. Yeah, I mean, no, sure. Well, the first one worked out, but you know, I. I. Uh, it was kind of an odd thing. Yeah, Chris is very, very funny and and insanely funny. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's it's transcendent. There's something about you know his commitment to things that's really uh, amazing. Yeah, just, and his, his sensibility is like it's completely unique. Uh, had some great laughs putting those. Uh, but you co-wrote like four together. of them, right? Yeah, Guthman, uh, Best in Show, Mighty Wind, for your consideration. Yeah, you were with him. Put, now, what do those scripts look like? Are they well? They're outlines. They're right. they're pretty detailed outlines that that got more detailed as we went along. I mm-hmm. mean, I, I think the script for Guthman was maybe fifteen pages. Uh huh. And you know, we lay out the story. From scene to scene, yeah. scene to scene, we lay out the story and we kind of we 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 describe what what exposition has to come out in every scene to keep the story going. The movies are improvised, right? So we don't really write dialogue. If we thought of something funny as a joke, uh, we would put it in the outline, right, and hope the character uses it, right. But um, but it was just really keeping the story moving from scene to scene because you've got to have an anchor that that if you're improvising a movie and it's just a free for all, then you good luck. It's hard to put together. It's yeah. hard to put together. So you've got to have something that keeps the story moving, and that's what we did. And with every movie, we got more involved in back character backgrounds and actually writing those out writing who the characters were where yeah. they where they went to school what books they wrote for what, the actor for the actor uh-huh yeah. and did that did they appreciate that yeah oh well yeah sure yeah and sometimes they added to it and uh and so, sometimes in a major way added to it and then uh, you just there's a, a sort of ensemble sort of started to reveal itself through those movies like there were core players that seemed to be in a lot of the movies yeah, we started out, I mean, Guffman was just Catherine, myself, Chris, Fred, and a very talented uh, improvisational actress in Toronto, Linda Cash, uh, who played my wife in, Waiting for, in, in that movie, Waiting for Guffman. And it was a, and Bob Balaban, of course. Balaban. And and that was kind of the core for Guffman. And then it just expanded with Best in Show. We brought in uh, Jennifer Coolidge. Jane. Uh, who I had uh, uh, seen. I didn't work with her, but I saw her when American Pie came out, and I and I recommended her to. She's Chris. great. I just talked to her. She's astounding in a way. Really, really great and quirky and funny. And Jane Lynch. Great. And um, and then uh, Michael McKeon. Yeah. Um, and that was for uh, Best in Show. And Michael Higgins. Oh uh, yeah, he's interesting. John Michael Higgins. Yeah. Yeah, so He's that great. that was that. And those movies were honestly just a lot of fun. And Guffman, we had more. We didn't learn 
soon enough. But on Guffman, there were a lot of scenes that we st- we would laugh in the middle of a take. Mm-hmm. C- couldn't help it. Uh, there were scenes where I I would there were group scenes where I would drop slowly behind the person in front of me <laughs> on my hands and knees and crawl off the set right. while they're still shooting so that the scene would go on and I couldn't stop laughing. And <laughs> the it, experimental theater experience paid off. It, yes, it did. Yes, it did. Crawling, yeah. crawling. Yeah. Don't, don't be afraid to get the tummy dirty. <laughs> and then we learned that, you know, if you're, because it is improvised, uh, you know, if you if you're laughing through something that's really funny, your yeah. chances are you'll ne- you're not never going to quite get that moment again. Right. So it was. Uh, so you figured out a way to crawl. Well, we learned. Yes, crawling yeah. became a became a big thing. Always make sure you're near somebody that you can move behind. Right. So you didn't lose that. That's perfect it. take. Well, like yeah. in in mighty in mighty win that relationship that you and Catherine O'Hara had was like, outside of it being funny and 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 tragic, it was really deep. Well, and, and I think that comes through with a lot of his movies that where you have these amazing characters in this this vibe, but the the uh, maybe it's the backstory, maybe it's the performers, but Jesus, man, I mean, they're moving. Chris and I share that. The one thing that that made us work well together is we share that sensibility of not being afraid to kind of bridge that line between comedy and drama. Right. Uh, case in point. Um, a mighty wind. Yeah, you know we we were coming up with um, evolving the characters for the show, and we're 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 talking about Mitch and Mickey, our two characters. Yeah, and the the fact that they were the sweethearts of the folk music right uh, generation, and and uh, their big hit song was "Kiss at the End of the Rainbow," and they would sing the song and then kiss at the end of the song. Well, now we have years later a reunion. And in the history of these two characters, they had a horrible split up and a horrible divorce and a horrible fight. And they never saw each other. And, and Mitch went into into uh, sanatoriums right, and sure. just yeah. drugs lost and yeah. lost it and became weird. Yeah, and yeah. She remarried. Well, what's going to happen when they come back to the reunion and they're going to sing their hit song? Um how are these two people going to kiss? Are they actually going to kiss at the end of the at yeah. the end of the song? Okay, okay. They hate each, because they hate Thinking each other. It. Yeah, and we kind of had a moment where we realized, wait a minute this this could be the storyline, the A storyline. Yeah, for the movie, but how scary is that? We're writing this is a comedy. Yeah, and yet. We're gearing this movie toward a third act where are these two people going to kiss at the end of the movie? Right. What are we getting ourselves into here? Right. This could be horrible because if it doesn't work, I mean, if it doesn't, if the audience isn't there with you, then it's going to be a, oh, it's going to be an ugger. Yeah. And yet we both felt compelled to move in that direction because it seemed like the most exciting way to go in terms of a story so it's that it's that it's that kind of it's that line between comedy and drama that has always um been my 
comedic raison d'etre kind yeah. of you know it it it, it is it, it's the most exciting way to do comedy for me because i'm not a joke person as, right as as is evidence uh, you know for the past hour and 10 minutes well no but i don't know if that's true like you know even like your sensitivity to characters like even like with bobby Bittman, you know back in the day which was a spoof on you know that generation of stand-up. You knew what wasn't funny and how to make it funny. I mean, I, yeah. I think you you do. Uh, you know, I'm not uh, not that you need me to tell you that. I, I do think you have an understanding of. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. It's an understanding. Yeah, no, yeah. no, no. It's true. But 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 the uh, the the kind of comedy for me that from the very beginning is is character driven. Sure. So even on SCTV, it's always character driven, right. and as and again, as broad as some of the characters were on SCTV, we committed to the characters. We we never we never we never had a joke at the expense of the character or stepped outside the character. Right. No tongue in cheek stuff. Right. Uh, that's right. So that's, that's a always big it's always yeah. been important. Edith yeah. Prickley, big big broad character, yeah. and yet Edith Prickley is a that's Edith. Yeah. Correctly, that's who she is. I well, mean, maybe that's some of that stuff that came from that that instruction, in a way, of of Dell saying, you know, keep it intelligent. Well, that's it. That drives that. That is the driving force behind everything. Make it intelligent. But to me, making it intelligent also means just making it three dimensional. Yeah. Make make it make a character funny but real. Make make him. You know, you should be able to take an audience on on a much more kind of rewarding trip. Yeah. Then than necessarily just you know kind of Jokes. laughing you know well, they, I mean? and the way you guys played that out in mighty wind with you know it becoming now that you say that it became the the uh the a story in a way that that whole third act where all the other performers are like i don't know what's gonna happen right it was like yeah very know, emotional moment. they were all moving towards it yeah and they brought the audience with it that's right yeah yeah, they come in and they move into the wings to see are they oh, gonna, are they going to do it? Are they going to do it? And then they can. It really was a, a an amazing uh, moment that you could actually feel. I'm getting when, choked up now. When we were doing, when yeah. we were actually shooting it. Oh yeah, uh, you could feel it because oh, I remember looking into the wings and seeing Parker Posey with yeah. tears in her eyes while <laughs> while I'm while the camera's there and I'm doing the scene with Catherine. So it it was great, and that. That is, that's the kind of comedy that I sure. love, yeah. you know, and that's what we were doing on our movies uh, yeah. with, with uh, Chris. Yeah. Make the characters real. I mean, yeah. the characters, the audience has to be able to grab hold of something, sure. you know? Yeah, yeah. And, it, and if you do it successfully, then you can you can take them on a nice ride. Sure. And you're doing that now with the... Sh uh, sh the exactly what we're doing in Schmitz. Schitt's Creek. Schitt's Creek. And and you have this dynamic, I imagine, with uh with Catherine that is uh like it's weird when you do have genuine, you know, decades of history with somebody and you know their emotional nuances as performers. Yeah. That there must be a comfort level to that. Uh yeah, amazing amazing uh, comfort level, and we 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 kind of know, um, we we have the same approach to yeah our work, Catherine and I. We we take it kind of very seriously. Uh, approach our work as actors approach a character and and uh, and we kind of have a sense where somebody is going or could go or you know we're so we work very well together emotionally on that um, on that level well it's sort of interesting that you know they like when you talk about it like it's almost it's some sort of magic you know because when you really think about 
the show you're doing with her now or, or these these Chris Guest movies, which are more subtle than I think SCTV, is that, you know, you're not really playing, you know, the the confidence you have to have in the character to not play for laughs, but to to assume that they are comedic characters innately is is some sort of gift. I mean, not, you know, that's I mean, you guys kind of invented some of that. It's just a commitment to character work. I really? Mean, it, it, that's that's really all it is. It's not, it, it's, I mean, for me personally on, on Schitt's Creek now, and I should for your listeners mention that it is S-C-H-I-T-T-S. And it's it, on it, Pop. It is, it is a person's name. Pop TV? Uh, it's a real name. Uh, and it's on Pop and yeah. Netflix. Yeah. Um, uh, so... You, you know, this is um, commitment. To this character. is a commitment to character, yeah. and this is a uh, and you know, my son Dan, uh, who I worked on the show with, created the show with. He came to me with an idea yeah. for for this uh, wealthy family that loses its money, but he also came to me because the the sensibility of the movies that that Chris and I were doing. That's yeah. kind of that's kind of the sensibility that he was he looking for in the yeah. show, and that's what we started. Uh, you know, kind of working with. It's good he had connections with you. <laughs> uh, it didn't didn't hurt. Yeah, it didn't hurt. Let's yeah. put it that way. But to his credit, he'd never he would never ever. He spent eight years on MTV mm-hmm. in Canada as a host and doing live stuff and doing yeah. it very well and very writing funny sketches and um and doing some great work. But um, uh, I just I I never thought um that the big question was would he be able to do something like this a half hour uh-huh. comedy a character that is got to be a genuine character you know yeah. and and writing and, yeah. and honestly anyway long story short he's great he's oh, good. he's he's quite well, that must brilliant be... at it and i just love watching him work and he's got a character That's on it. our show that yeah. is insanely funny and you must be proud yeah yeah, Dad's proud, very Good. proud. Good. Yeah, extremely. Well, look, man, it was great talking to you, and I'm I'm happy that you're 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 going, and it's uh, you're doing great work, and congratulations on the new season. Well, thank you, and I I I, I can't believe I'm uh, finally here in this in this illustrious <laughs> uh, uh, garage here, and as I've 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 seen the pictures and kind of said, hmm, uh-huh. I wonder what it's like to yeah. be across the desk. <laughs> How was from it, Mister Marin? It's delightful. It's a great conversation. I I didn't. I never heard action. Yeah, no, I don't do that. Uh huh. <laughs> so I take oh, it. Yeah. I take it. We're are we ready to go? Or yeah, was, we're it, about was to that just, was this just preamble? That was all. We're about to start. Oh, great, great. Okay, <laughs> thanks, man. Thanks. I enjoyed that. I was a pleasure meeting him. I like hearing the. I like hearing the history. You know, I do. Oh, I can breathe. I'm just going to take it in. I'm fear-free right now. Fear-free. Fear-free zone. Boomer lives! <laughs>